0: From the mad scribblings in Aaron's notebook to Jeff's brilliant mind. How have we never done a proper world-building episode for fantasy? Well, today, Junior Wizards, all of that changes. We return next week with an episode proper. But for now, let,
1: let us, us talk, talk fantasy. fantasy. Hey, Jeff. Hey,
0: Aaron. Welcome all to all my fantasy children. My name is Aaron Katano Sayas. And my name is Jeff Stormer. And this is All My Fantasy Children, a character creation, world building, and storytelling podcast where each week we take a listener prompt and create an original fantasy character from it to help us develop our fantasy world.
1: Yes, uh, what we do is we take a prompt, we uh, we plug that prompt into our Blue Yeti microphone, we then kind of try to stand up to do something in the living room, we tangle our foot in that listener prompt, we end up slamming our windscreen onto our nightstand. Our nightstand cracks and breaks, so which is why, if you're noticing that I sound a little echoey, the more echoey than usual, it's because I broke my nightstand no! with my foot and my windscreen. And it was a bad scene. Uh, it's all good though. I'm 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 okay. Good. <laughs> Which I'm I think it's what matters. Glad to hear that.
0: And I literally just woke up because I worked last night. Like literally ten minutes ago.
1: All right. So this is gonna be a good episode.
0: So I have an idea because I know we're pressed for time. Uh, and we we have a fantasy world that we develop a character at a time. But sometimes I do have ideas that I write down to try to like kind of. We don't always have time to like talk about landscapes and like the Mm-hmm. The cities and details like that, those come up, like, every couple episodes. So I figured, like, I we'd just talk about kind of, like, we'd actually have a proper world-building episode, and we'd talk about little yeah. details about stuff.
1: Yeah, sounds good. I'm into that. So the first
0: note that I have in my handy-dandy notebook is, uh, so it's about the oceans. A lot of people ask us about fantasy seas and oceans. Yeah, Um sure. And my idea is that there are uh, sea monsters in them. Sure, like of a though. lot of them, though. Like it's very dangerous.
1: Yeah, it's teeming. It's teeming with life. Sure.
0: And here is the. Th- this is the pitch that I wanted to pitch to you real quick. So all these ships, we just talk. We have a lot of boat stories. Um,
1: we do. We. I love a good. I love a good boat story. Yes. You can't. I uh, you can't see this because it's a podcast. But right now, I am wearing a double-breasted blue jacket and a captain's hat, and uh, I'm at the pier one. But I'm at the pier one like not there's a nautical section in yeah. the back of the pier one yeah and i'm just standing there looking out sighing thinking thinking about my mournful relationship with the sea that is beautiful <laughs>
0: i'm sitting in my kneeling chair just wearing an inflated life vest
1: <laughs> hey hey
0: different strokes there is strokes, different folks baby so on a boat i would say so if the the ocean is full of like you know at any time a kraken or like a giant stingray could pop up and like destroy your ship I thought that every ship is equipped with a bard that as soon as the sea monster appears, like this expert bard has to like charm the beast
1: Hmm. and like
0: calm it. So like at the helm of every ship is like a person with a guitar, like, you know, an instrument, a flute, just like at the ready. Like you have to have one the same way that every ship has like a uh, like a what do you call it? Like a cook. You know, you yeah. would need a musician because it's like, the Kraken, there she comes. Take it away, uh, Big Billy. And Big Billy starts, like, slamming on his, like, oh, ukulele. Jug. It's a jug? It's a jug. But it is. It's like a magical jug. And the bard starts playing. Mm-hmm. And the Kraken mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. oh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, am, mm-hmm. I am significantly mm-hmm. less angry. And, like, lets them pass.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's good. I'm into that. Okay, cool. I think that they would also need probably like what? Does the bard also then tell the like cuz we've like we've established that stories have power. So I imagine the bard is also there to like tell the story of the boat. Oh,
0: absolutely. It's like the document. It's a uh, like yeah. the historian of the sh- of the trip. I don't know what
1: you'd call that. That's the way that like boat stories get around is like a bardsman, a boat the boat singer like shares the story of their journey and that's how you like that's kind of how the seas were mapped out right like which is i think why it's not it's difficult to travel by ocean because it's not terribly accurate because you're going off of a lot of ballads and interpretive (laughs) jug tunes
0: exactly what i'm thinking is like uh if you imagine like a dock There's like the same way that like uh, in regular fantasy, there's like cut purses and like deckhands waiting to be hired by ships. It's just a bunch of musicians and singers waiting at a ship dock, like waiting to be picked up because I think you take a trip and you hire a new one. Like based on the region you're going to, like I'm an expert of the glacier region, hmm. and so you get a new bard with every trip. Or-
1: well, I like that a boat singer is specifically tied to a ship. Like it's a tr- it's got to be like a treasured position, right? Because you've got to be able to to specifically like forge a connection with a thing that is in the water, but also like p- extend that connection to the people that you're with. So I think that it's got to be like a long-term relationship
0: okay so it's a permanent spot as a as a crewmate i like but that. I also
1: like I also like that the docks are full of like aspiring ones if you can get a hold of a boat singer and like have them on your ship for a long time yeah it's a treasured position but if you just need to go from point a to point b and on weekends point C you just kind of grab uh you play the bongos great maybe you're magic maybe you're not I hope your magic though. <laughs> it's
0: super like I was thinking fishing vessels don't really use them cuz they don't venture out into like the dangerous
1: terrain. That's what I think that the like the day the day players are for like <laughs> the,
0: the the ones the one-timers.
1: Yeah, you you just hang out on the boat and when a fishing vessel is going out you're like, "Hey, do you need a guy to play banjo?"
0: <laughs> I'm your You need guy. a banjo player?
1: <laughs> those quick
0: those quick ones.
1: <laughs> All right, I'm going to come on board and play some banjo music. It's going to be great. <laughs> okay.
0: Moving on. So I wanted to talk about Puritha... You and I talked about Puritha Guild's food culture in a little mm-hmm. chat. But, yep. like, we developed through the, the course of this fucking city, like, uh, a culture based on food. And it's sick. Let me run you through. I'll read this 100 miles an hour.
1: You know, you take your time with it. It's oh, fine. okay.
0: Puritha Guild's culinary culture. The appreciation for food and quality of ingredients can be seen in it throughout this region. From John Brussels choosing his favorite seedling to growing the great harvest festivals we know so well... But like, I was thinking that honestly, it was it's it, it's connected throughout. I don't know why I'm reading right. it to you. Like it it that. kind of
1: runs throughout. It it runs throughout its history. We started it out with like Sprout Brussels being a farmer and being somebody that was raising crops to help them survive. And then there's the the pumpkin growing festival is like to grow a large plant that can feed to grow a large plant, specifically a pumpkin, which can feed a lot of people, is seen as like worthy of you are a leader that can that we can trust and then like the after lemony falls the thing the foot fu- like the central conflict is forged over over like access to food yeah and then when it becomes truth it it does so partially through the actions of people like ward who are providing food and access to food to people
0: yes so i keep thinking like just Uh, like, restaurants and restaurants and restaurants during Sprout Brussels and early Purithera Guild. Then as, like, Sam uh, Gord's dad takes over, it becomes, like, underground speakeasy restaurants because I think he closes them all to turn them into like Sam uh, to Gord brand products like mm-hmm. Archibald Gord steampunk and except because we keep forgetting it's a fucking steampunk town.
1: There are giant sp- giant mechanical spiders. Yeah, We talk a lot about them in episode zero. And we don't really go out no. It's a
0: steampunk city. So I keep thinking he has like tech shops and Brass gear stores and everything's top hats and the restaurants close, so they become like these speakeasy uh, underground, like almost nightclubs esque thing, and that fits kind of perfectly into the transition of uh, Grasshopper City because it would be people like having these underground places where you can get food that isn't being given to the crickets, mm-hmm. and then that moves into Ward, who is a you know who is a former restaurateur who is now providing food to the needy and the comforting feeling that it gives. And, like, Truth's restaurant scene
1: would then be, I don't know. I'm picturing a lot of uh, farm-to-table stuff in Truth. Okay, I dig it's that. It's a lot of, like, it kind of is, it's about, like, everyone is welcome. So I think it's about, like, this is what I have. This is the food that I have that I have prepared. yeah. Like I have, I am personally like giving it to you, right? Like it is, a, it is that it's a sort of a it values sort of a collectivism and of a, a sharing of good mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. that I
1: think. It, I think it is a lot of like, I kind of picture that kind of speaky culture turning into a lot of like not hipstery, but like kind of. I'm picturing a restaurant that is just someone's kitchen, like oh, you know those. Yeah, no, you I know exactly, tiny restaurant. Philly. Yeah, the
0: ones that are like you go in someone's fucking house. It's very, like, small-scale. It's not ritzy. It's not upscale. It's uh, low-key, but, like, high-execution of food. But very, like, affordable and very homey.
1: I almost wonder if there's not a restaurant scene in truth, because it really is just, like people having each other over for, like if you don't want to cook if you're not a good cook
0: you have someone over
1: yes yeah, some I you can that. you can like invite someone over or be invited over someone's house and so that kind of speakeasy culture turns into a culture of like people teaching each other to cook, and also people cooking for friends, And
0: that would make make a lot of sense, because if restaurants were shut down in Sam Gordville, like, you know what I mean, in Sam Gord era, people would have to learn to cook for themselves. They can't go and get it. So I think after, you know, the crisis of Limited Locust and resources and stuff, when everybody is back, it would be like, we all know how to do this. We all can do this. You know, we don't have to Mm -hmm. stress. We can just cook for each other and, like— we don't have to make this financial gain anymore. It can just be about passion.
1: And and what if? uh Here's an idea. Here's a pitch for you. Yeah, chefs like cooking. Rest cooking goes from being like a thing that is a restaurant that is a destination. Yeah. To almost like a freelance chef situation. Ooh, I love that. Like because we- you said you invite someone over, so like you could pay somebody and be like, come to my house and cook. You don't go to a place and say, cook for me in this restaurant. You, you, you pay, you hire someone to come to your house and prepare a meal. And that's like, and there are people that will come and prepare you a very cheap, simple meal. And there are people that will prepare you a feast. Like, but it is, it is rather than you go to a restaurant, somebody will come to you kind of in the way that like Ward had a mobile, like kitchen, that kind of, that kind of picks up and is like the big trend. I love that. Somebody comes to your house with like all of the tools they will need, and they're like, "Give me two hours, and I will prep you dinner, and you will give me money, and like we will have an exchange, but it will be in the comfort of your own home." That's a sick little. That's a sick detail,
0: and I love the how's how the evolution of currently like what we've come to food and guilt of truth has become.
1: Yay. That's sick. Cooking for someone is probably a grand romantic gesture in, tr- in, in purity for Guild slash Truth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's probably, like, the thing that you do, right? Oh, well, I was thinking that's, like, the love confession,
0: you know, that's in every anime. Yeah. Yeah, like, if you're like, I want to cook dinner for you, it's like, oh my god, they're taking like, it oh, to the next oh, level. we're there. Okay. We're there. Holy shit. It's like asking yeah. someone to meet their parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a thing that you only kind of show, like your cooking is something you only show to someone that you're very serious mm-hmm.
0: about. Ooh, I love that. That's very good. So I have random details in this book. Um, Biuro Smazzoni paintings for each character for a few characters. All right. So Sam Gord, I wrote that he has a locket with a picture of the Sea of Sorrow. That's where like uh, uh, Nymphea fell into the ocean when she died. Sure. And it's sure. given to her by his mother, Madam... Given to him by his mother, Madame Brighttower. The paint is made of a flower from her garden that Sam helped her tend at a very young age. It takes him back to being held by his mother. But that's all he can kind of remember. Just that sweet feeling of being a baby and being, like, loved. That's kind of tragic. Yep. <laughs> Slip. Uh, Eliza dyed a swatch of cloth and paint made from plants she saved from her time with Callahan in the haunted forest. The green patch sewn on his slip's coat. The paint reminds Eliza of when she felt the weight of the world... But knew that this journey may be a, the harder path, but the right one, and so she gives it to Slip.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's really good. I know wizards. I don't know if you've written down wizards. I have but I not have written wizards. down
0: wizards. Actually, I was—I guess I was a little emotional on the subway tonight, so I was writing these nice ones. What is All wizards? Right.
1: Wizards is—it's um, actually—it's almost emotional. Almost. Yeah, because it is—it um, a, a, is a plant, a vegetable from from his first set. As like that don't grow on a tree wizard the good one and he he had that like boiled down and used that paint, and he painted an officially licensed wizard action figure oh, but the thing is that would be emotional, except that the emo the, 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 the emotion that is tied to that for wizard and that's what's important is the emotional experience as tied to the person yes. presenting the paint, yes. Is that this was the time that Wizard got paid? (laughs) (laughs) So you look at this and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Just like that good, good feeling of getting like fucking money, like getting your paycheck. You're like, oh, yeah. And that's it. There's no depth to it. It's just like feels like you just got like a thousand dollars.
1: Burel spent like two weeks working on that. That's probably like a week, probably like a month and a half, because bureau is slow. Yeah, but like kept being like, there should be depth here. Why am I not? I'm not feeling anything.
0: It just feels and like i it's you're not
1: paid. I should emphasize, it's not the feeling of like creative accomplishment or being rewarded for your work. It's just that feeling of like, yeah, I got mine. I just oh to hell God. with the rest of you. That sucks, <laughs> right? Yes. Because I, I was like, I was like, you know what? It's actually kind of a good feeling to get like. To do a thing and be proud of it and get rewarded for it. Yeah. And it can't be that for Wizard. I think it's literally the feeling of like, I got mine. Fuck all y'all.
0: Yes, exact. Oh my god. I like that a lot.
1: It's actually, it's all, it's that mixed with the emotion of like, there was a comedian that had a better set. Yeah. Before, before Wizard. Ugh. But Wizard got paid more and it just amplifies that feeling of like, I got mine. You. What a piece of shit. He sucks real bad.
0: <laughs> and so the last character that I wrote about Burel was everybody always asks about Big Jer. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I wrote The handle of his mace was dyed the color of Trick Smallman's coat in the portrait Burel made of him eons ago. Because I think because I think that Jig Jeremy has the portrait of Trick Smallman that was mm-hmm. painted by Burel. The paint that J- Big Jeremy used for this color though was made from a potted plant. He took, he took a cutting of a potted plant after he met Trix Smallman for the first time on the Reflections train. It reminds him of that reunion with his father, and whenever he picks up his mace, he remembers the face of his father and the importance of being a symbol in fantasy. I love that a lot. Because, we, remember, he decided that, like, I can't tell you who you are because your life is now too important to too many people. hmm Cool. And, uh, we're not going in any particular order. The, this notebook is literal, just scattered
1: thoughts. Yeah, it's just whatever. Yeah. It's just whatever. So, geode. So, I have one more, but I don't know. Let me oh, ask no, you. Oh, yeah. no, po- pose you the question. Yes. Because I actually don't know if this is canon or not. I don't know if this was ever released to the public. And I
0: am dying to know what this is.
1: Did Bar... I, I also know what Barney Barber's It's Barney Bargist,
0: goddammit. No. <laughs> Barney Barney Barber! Barber. No, I don't think I ever released that. All right. Well then. It ended up it. Leave only it being in like twelve minutes. Oh my God. And it's now on my old computer. Oh no, I just might have it. But
1: Okay. Hold well then I don't want to talk about it. I just want to leave in the implication that there's a character that people might never know about.
0: about Barney Barber, who's very good. <laughs> All, right. All right. What's
1: your next note?
0: So Jude. It's about Geode. We don't really have a lot of lore about Geod. We talk a lot about P-Killed because <laughs> it's yep. so fucked up. Um, so Geode. Uh, we said that dwarves stay where they are typically because why wander? Because you can when you can build on what you have and improve it. Like mm-hmm. they have everything. Like the machine god is dope, you know, just giving them everything they could ever want. So improving the city and helping the community grow is at the forefront of dwarven culture then. The quote I would say is, what can you contribute, is kind of the feeling. What will your gift to the world be? You know, that kind of, we have the guiding word and stuff like that. And, like, it sounds like a high-pressure, high-stakes culture. But the more I thought on it, it would be, like, what will you contribute?
1: You know, like, what will your place be? You had a thought on Discord that I wanted to put on the microphone that I really liked. Yes. Because I was actually thinking about this a lot. You talked about dwarven, like, innovation being very important. Yes. Like, the idea that, like, dwarves are looking for the next big thing. They're yes, looking for the thing yes. that is going to change the things that they already do. Let me flip ahead. Like,
0: is, <laughs> where is that? Where is that? Yes, yes, yes. Is exactly right. I thought of it as uh, uh, a... Fuck. Yeah. Uh, dork rock, dwarven rock layer culture is kind of what we discussed in Dig New Earth. I had to re-listen to Dig New Earth when I was on my little road trip because I was so fucking lost um with what we had said you uh, know we said that geo it's it's like think of it as a mountain shape like a pyramid right and at the top is the precipice where dwarven culture started and the machine god you know punched through to the bottom so the machine god's all the way at the bottom chilling in a bunker and there's layers like if you have you ever seen a crepe cake mm-hmm. how there's a shit ton of layers in there yeah it's like that but i'm thinking like a million so sure 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 if the old areas at the top uh you know the it's out with the old in with the new new is everything where i'm i'm trying to think of i try to think of it as something where if a culture just throughout the old idea rather than building up on it as like, you know, we have as like humans in the past, where it's like, you know, what is a microphone? We start out with the base one and then we improve on it. If this is like, no, I already made something that's better than a microphone and it just goes in your ear and picks up bone conduction, you know what I mean? The the idea yeah. of a microphone is gone completely. So it's not, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's and you and you you layer, meaning not build upon, but like build and cover up. And the old thing is buried down there and we don't ever use it again because it's old, outdated. It doesn't have a purpose as we progress toward. I'm thinking about progressing toward perfection. Like if we, yeah. you genuinely chase perfection, you would leave it down there. And that's why we, cause we, when you mentioned that like dig new earth's neighborhoods, like dig new earth stumbles onto like old towns that people have like literally built upon. I thought of like, you just get rid of shit. Like, you, no one ever moves back there.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this specifically because I had for a long time tried to figure out like, sort of the differences between, because we've kind of laid out very similar paths for Geode and for Dragon. And this kind of like put it into. Yes, that's what perspective it was driving me, me
0: nuts in the car
1: was that. I was thinking about this and I kind of feel like that like hammers it home for me. Yes. Is the Geode is all about innovation. They want the next big thing. They want to change they want to the change that improves a process, right? Like they're always like, okay, how can this be better? What is the next step along the chain? Whereas Dragon is very much if they're about innovation, Dragon is about execution. They value it is it is not how do you innovate this process. It is how do you do this process as is currently laid out to infinitesimally bigger degrees of efficiency
0: and it's true i mean we also we discussed that like dragon is all about like what's your passion what do you do like what what's your like what i keep thinking like fire like you know what burns inside of you that you want to bring out so i think it's a lot more in dragon of an individual aspect where it's like aaron's microphone that he made is valuable and incredible because it does this and x and y like he has executed and it's amazing but jeff's also has value and merit
1: and i think it's 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 that like in this in this example it is that you have built the perfect microphone yes like your microphone picks up a broader frequency range it has lower impedance it is a better it is a better microphone like you took a microphone and you pushed it, and you executed it better than had been executed prior. Whereas my bone-conducting, like, earpiece, that's not a microphone. Mm. It's not the thing. Like, that's... But, like, but it's a new thing that maybe does that, that maybe, like, records audio better. And that, for me, was sort of the cultural difference between those two cities and those two, like, peoples is... In Dragon, it's about making the thing the best. It is about ma- it's about taking the microphone. We know what a microphone is. And saying, I can make a better microphone. I love it. I can tweak it. I can improve it. I can twist this gear just right. It will be a better a better implementation of this thing that we are familiar with.
0: I take it. I like that these... And then... Sorry, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead.
1: Oh, and then in Geode, it's, well, I know what a microphone is. It's fine. But, like, if I just... If I invent a new thing that does that better that's better
0: yes like we won't need this anymore we won't need to improve on the shittier model you know it's like a carriage someone's like why are we still making horse and buggies we made a car yeah you know it's that kind of that over and over again and that's why like i thought jake new earth is cute because they want more people to know about the older worlds and stuff that's been like buried under tons of layer of geode like i thought of like how we say like, oh, it's covered and buried. It's more less of buried than like you close off a mine shaft like that. Path, yeah. that path is closed, and now we open a new one to like open a new microphone ward. You know, a new microphone, a tech layer. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh yeah, and the thing that is cool about the machine gun does not talk ever. Machine gun has never right. spoken. So if they. So I wrote, earth preserves the old, wants to bring it back to inform Geodeans of a rich and informative history. Because if they did look into this, they'd know that the machine god is just a dwarf, not a god. That the drive of the machine god to provide is a very human thing and shouldn't be romanticized as something like chasing perfection. That they're just like everyone else in the city, just trying to contribute. Because I think the machine god is like romanticized. as like, the machine god brings the sun. You know, the machine mm-hmm. god brought hydroponics, when in reality, machine god is just a just a dwarf, you know, churning away stuff from the basement of Geode, unseen, and it's just trying to do their best to provide for the city and contribute and make new things. Like, that drive is there, but it's very human. Like, I think the, the dwarven, the Geodean, the Geodian drive to, like, reach perfection in the pinnacle of, like, a field, they think is, like, well, the machine, it's, like, divine, you know what I mean? Like oh well, I have mm-hmm. this drive in me. I have to do it. When in, if people took a step back and knew that like their history comes from just a dwarf with you know a passion to protect the city, it would be a little less you know chase perfection, chase perfection. The I, I think of it, it's a culture of all nighters, dwarf like mm-hmm. geode. You know, you work and you work until you have the new thing. Yeah, and if you took a step back, you would know that it's that's not what's actually happening in the basement.
1: Yeah, neat.
0: Okay. So my next idea that I have for you, Jeff, is about a care, a class. We never talk about classes. And do we have time? How are we on time? Yeah, okay, doing good. So we they never got ta- like twenty minutes. Cool. So we never talk about classes. Uh, I was watching softball on the plane to Atlanta and i wanted to talk to you about fighters because fighters it's about their stance like a batting stance in baseball or softball it's about finding a neutral place to relax into during combat that allows the fighter to be prepared for anything fighter name is pending i can't really i couldn't think of shit So it's about the mastery of relaxing your body so that you lose all tension and enter a state of relaxed readiness to engage threats as they come and assess your surroundings. So there's no surprises, just moments that can be handled. Because like in baseball, you, everybody has their own unique stance. In softball, everyone has a stance that's uniquely theirs. You know, you can be taught a batting stance by someone, but you still tweak it and that it's yours. And that's. It's, a pl- it's not a place of, like, tension. The proper way to do it is so that you're, like, ready for something. You're not anticipating, you know, if you throw a fast pitch, you're in your stance, and you're ready to swing at it. If they so throw something that's slower, you don't jump at it. You wait for it to come to you, and you're patient, and you breathe, and you slap it. So I thought of a fighter in that way of, like, someone who develops their own pre- specific stance to pace- based on what they need – and, like, but based on their level of relaxing their muscles, relaxing all tensions, so when, like, a foe charges them, it's just, like, minimal effort, minimal execution, pew, like, dispatched. You know, just a place of comfort.
1: Yeah, I dig that. And I dig that particularly because thinking about tabletop, thinking about, like, Dungeons & Dragons specifically. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm calling you out, D&D. Do We're it. getting into this. Yeah. It's time for Jeff's Salt Corner. Let's go. It's <laughs> a new segment on All My Fantasy Children where I sit in a corner and I'd be salty. Except I'm not literally in my corner. Because here's salt corner number one. Yeah. My nightstand is broken. Uh, yeah. And I don't want to go to Ikea to buy a new nightstand. Yeah. But I know I'm going to have to. And I'm salty about that. Jeff Stormer, Salt Corner. Salt Corner number two. <laughs> Okay. So in D uh D, the the thing about fighters is it's often very ambiguous. It's supposed to be it's supposed to cover about forty million things. Yeah, you're supposed to be able to create like a swordsman, an archer, uh, a guns like. It's a, it's this idea that it's just like a person that is good at fighting. I like to fight. <laughs>
0: it's always like I make us. This person has big muscles and they're angry because their village was burned down.
1: But it covers like forty seven. There's like so many different th- ways you could interpret. Good at fighting? Are you an archer? Are you are you are you a trained sword fighter? Are you a duelist? Are you a gunslinger? Are you a a professional wrestler? Are you a master of the bow staff? Like, and so I like the idea that it's all about stance and it's all about finding the stance that you're most comfortable with because that kind of extends to like, Finding that fighting style that, like, feels like an extension of your being.
0: Yes, because I think in our show, like, it's all about the person. It's all about the character. So this would be a way to have a fighter that's, like, it's it's so unique. Like, you will never have two that are the same unless you make them the same. Because if my stance was just standing with my hands on my hips and it's, like, I'm not a gunslinger. Psych, I'm, like, I use two daggers, like, you know, stuck in my pockets. And that's, like, the relaxed state. I thought of it as, like, you know, everyone would be unique based on who they are.
1: Yeah. And it it uniquely reflects, like, what you're most comfortable with. So that actually, that's actually a justification that does allow it to be whatever, to be the 47 different things that the D&D fighter class wants it to be. But it never really is, because it's always, you fight with a sword and a shield, and you wear heavy armor, because the fighter is mechanically balanced to do those four things, and it's Salt Corner. <laughs>
0: Jeff Salt Corner. <clears throat> and I wanted to think of it as like a discipline thing uh, where it's like it's it's about good discipline. Like the, it takes training and stuff like that's where like the fighter crap comes over. It's like they don't – they train with a weapon, yes, but it's more about the stance. stance I wrote, yeah. Stances can be inspired by people you admire, modeled after, even taught by a mentor. But ultimately to not have uh, – ultimately it is uniquely yours. Claiming to not have a stance is a stance in its own way. Um, In fantasy, it's not, like, linked to emotion, like, as I hate where it's like, I enter a rage. No. It's just a stance where the fighter is comfortable and their body can be free of tension. So I wrote, uh, so fighter, of course, name pending. Uh, I wrote, Arthur is the first fighter, technically. He named his blade Tranquility after the feeling he finds before entering combat. The phrase dealing the king's peace is based on the thought of Alt Arthur expanding his inner peace to you, I- in a way. I said, Lumina Spear made this joke after she first saw it and adapted it as a joke. She made this joke to Arthur where she's like, wow, you're really dealing that King's Peace. And he adapted it to try to sound cool. (laughs) Mm, I like that. I like that a lot.
1: That's very Arthur.
0: It's not the case for every fighter, but the idea is consistent. Enter a personal place of relaxation and readiness. Engage in combat. That is my idea for fighter.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. Awesome.
0: Um, I've wrote a lot about what Puritha Guild looks like because I went to, uh, oh, so this is my, this is my, not to slam on Puritha Guild a lot and like have a lot, but I don't care. It's what I wrote. I wrote, cause I drove from Atlanta to Chattanooga. Um, Chattanooga is like, like I stopped at a barbecue place and it was like valleys and sunsets surrounded by mountains. So I think that there's a region in Puritha Guild that has the best traditional Puritha Guild, but it's super annoying to get to. Now, when I got to Nashville, I thought of, like, the main city, because they have this cool, ominous AT&T tower that looks like Khazad-dune. Um There's, like, this pedestrian path. So I think of, like, that. If you've ever been to Nashville, P-Guild. Uh, so what What really my big point is, when I got to Arkansas, it's like, I stopped at these, like, very small towns, and I they're, like, sleepy. And so I thought about, after Lemony Locust, do you think there are towns in Puritha Guild that, like, were outside that were just built to fuel the machine to fuel the fucking cricket and now have to like find new livelihoods you know yeah because they could see that if their entire existence kind of like because i thought about dust swept the town we talked about with uh ginger galangal where it's like oh it's slow and they're struggling i think of like these places that i keep passing that like are either they were fucked over by an industry that visit them in the united states or like you know. The well-dried, you know, the mine dried up, so we're all on So I keep thinking, like, in Puritagil, that's the case of, like, well, Lemony Locust isn't there. The money for these goods is not flowing like it used to be. Like, we're just a slow farm in town now, but, like, no one's begging us for giant corn like they used to. Mm -hmm. Oh, but the twist that I wrote—God, how can I fucking forget this—is— So there are these slow towns outside of Piritha Guild that are a little like, you know, they lost their livelihood. Their fuel was the fuel of the bug god. But they're incredibly proud because that would mean their nature magic is the most powerful. And people looking to train in nature magic have to work their land in this region under the guidance of these farmers.
1: All right. I like that. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I have another I have another Tennessee detail Fuck yeah. to add in for to add in I would love a Tennessee um,
0: detail that's I kept thinking of you while I was driving through I was like I wonder where Jeff was
1: I was actually right outside of that I was about I was outside of Clarksville which is about an hour out of Nashville mm, mm. and so what I want to add is that there's probably if plant life is that plentiful in the area around Peruther Guild there's probably a lot of lakes and rivers yes and that means there's a lot of a river boats because I love a good riverboat. Fuck yeah. And a lot of river like ports. Ooh. Because we hung out a lot at a portside bar. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like like tiny little like not not campsites but like live like small communities kind of built around just like here is our port our trading port, general store, tavern. Yes. We have like a like a few houses and cottages around that. And we all just kind of like converge there. And that's kind of it. And I think there's a lot of like river stops around in like the air, in like the the lands around Purethra Guild. I dig. I'd love that. It's
0: so good. I have a really stupid note for you about Geode. All right. So something gets popular in Geode because we read about Geode and it's like very serious and very like, you know, I was like, what's their dumb detail? And a lot of people that I was with on the trip are playing HQ, that phone game show game thing. Yep. So I said, in Geode, the mountain city of innovation, where the machine god, the one last ancient relic user, provides for everyone, creates, you know, amazing things. Game show elimination competition shows are unavoidable in Geode. Yep, I'm into that. Yeah, of course. Game shows are fucking everywhere. Geodeans love winning shit. They love things like Double Dare and Guts. Like... kind where you have to do stuff and build stuff. Elimination shows like Forged in Fire and History. You ever watch that show? It's a yep. blacksmith elimination show like that would be like let fucking me, everywhere. Let me, let
1: me, I, I want to run down this hole If it's all, uh, finished your thought, but I have so many thoughts on this.
0: Yeah, because I just thought of it. It's like if people want us to feel like we're rich, so they have us g- play game shows on TV to make people have desperate money grabs, which is like you know that's my Aaron Salt corner about game shows. We're like, let's have poor people jump through the mud for money. So I thought about like in an ideal way, it's just like we have it so great in Geode
1: Let's just put. Play games for prizes. So I want to run with this because, like, I I want to talk about specifically entertainment competitions that are popular in each of the major cities. Fuck yes. All right. So we know it's game shows in Geo. Yes. Dragon and well, and what it is is specifically game shows with weird gimmicks. Yes. Like every, like if you're going to invent a game show, it's got to be innovative. You have to do weird things that have not been previously done. Can I,
0: can I say like the game show HQ that comes up on your phone when you like don't know when it's going to happen? Can it be like that in Geo? Like you're having dinner and the restaurant is suddenly like, okay, for a prize, you have to eat this six lobster roll. And you're like, oh my God, like anything can become a game show at any time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Then in Dragon talent competitions Ooh, okay no yeah america's we... america's got talent style perfect it's like because like the thing is you have to be as you want to be exceptionally good at something yes so there's just a constancy of like all right here's our dueling tournament show here's our coin flipping show you have to be really good at flipping coins it, it, jeff that's
0: with what we've actually made canon that is so perfect because we always say that yeah. there's the sword for the fencing tournament we said that skipping stones and storytelling are competitive in fucking dragon so it makes perfect so sense
1: people are turning things into like everything is a tournament or a competition or a talent show
0: i fucking no
1: wonder that the fuck we
0: said that tia back then the 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 idol groups were at war with each other they they were fighting. And it's like mm-hmm. re- yes, they were fighting during these like Battle of the Bands esque things, but also like fighting because talent shows get nasty. Pageants get nasty.
1: Yeah. I fucking Purity through Guilt. Yes. Cooking competitions. Oh, absolutely.
0: Naturally. Top chef fucking chopped.
1: Here's your ingredient. Make something out of it. i say okay. Uh well this is a rock. You've literally handed me a rock. <laughs>
0: I'm going to work on but this. But if you got that good magic, you got that good, you know, you fight, you'll turn a rock into fucking the greatest grilled cheese ever made. Moon Crescent?
1: Fishing shows. Makeover shows. Oh! <laughs> like, yes, like renovation and stuff? Like renovation, like, uh, just like, all right, we've got this person. We're going to make, we're going to give them a whole new outfit. Oh we're my gonna, God. We're going to sit down with them. We're going to talk about their hobbies. We're going to talk about what they're passionate about and how we can- you know, like pimp my ride type stuff. Yes. It's like, I'm, we're going to, and it's just like, it's all, it, it's all about like being like, well, all right, we're going to make your world a little more special.
0: That's so fucking, oh, it's like the new season of queer eye. The, yeah. Oh fuck. Yes. Um, can I, so iron get for iron hill. Yeah. I
1: wrote a quick, about wrote a yeah, quick detail
0: me. real quick before you, before just to put something in your head. I wrote iron hill beverages are the thing, not food. Tea shops, Tea shops, tea farms, breweries, distilleries, wineries, vineyards, coffee shops, soda shops, juices—you name it. There are lots of farms in Iron Hill, but a large percent of them, are, but large percent of them percentage but a large percentage of them are beverage-based. Uh, they're mostly for ingredients for beverages. The food kind of sucks in Iron Hill, but those drinks best in the world.
1: All right, now this is the last, uh, this is going to be the last thing. I'm going to pitch you this, and then that's going to that's gonna be it for this installment. Okay. Are you right? Yes, I am. Iron Hills, game shows. Yep. Follies. Stop. Musical reviews. Stop it. Stage shows.
0: This is, the, they have theater. The Great White Way is in fucking Iron
1: Hill. <laughs> well, think about it. Think about it. Who did they seek out? Overall, everyone. Think about, think about Iron Hill Yo. and really think about it. Fucking Arthur <laughs> they, was the leader. They fucking love Ansel Mindfreak, Chabois. They love Wizard. <laughs> they love Spot Shellman's Comedy Review. <laughs> they fucking love a good, like, putting on a show. <laughs> Holy shit, Jeff theater, comedy, live performance. They love musical theater. Like TV is junk. They they just lo- they it's all about like putting on a show.
0: It, is it live? No, not interested.
1: <laughs> no, no, not interested. Like you've got to like you got to sell me.
0: People in Iron Hill actually sit and listen to the funny bots do history <laughs> lessons.
1: All right, and I think that's a wrap on this installment of world building with all my fantasy children. Perfect.
0: I'm probably gonna keep going and read this uh, nymphaleucus thing, so it'll be a surprise for you. I'm excited. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So thanks everybody. God, this was a fun. episode. Ev- glad we had like we should do this more often. We're just like talk world building just to so be yeah, like have I'm fleshed out stuff. Yeah. Um. Thanks everybody for hanging out.
1: If you'd like to submit a prompt to us for the show to for us to create a character, yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of ways you can do that. Uh, you can tweet at us at AMFC underscore podcast using the hashtag fantasy children. You can post it on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash allmyfantasychildren. You can email them to us at allmyfantasychildren at gmail.com. You can go to allmyfantasychildren.com, use the content submission form. You can also go to bit.ly slash discord and post them to our Discord channel.
0: While you're there, check out our Patreon uh, and consider becoming a backer so for that sweet, sweet financial backing that the show sometimes needs for things like hosting costs, con appearances, and uh, equipment fees. So, Yeah. While you're there, uh, check out partyofone.com for Jess' other podcast, which is very good.
1: Uh, Party of One is an actual play about two-player role-playing experiences. Every week I sit down with my friends, we play a two-player game, we share some laughs, a few tears, a really good time. Episodes drop every Tuesday, you can find it at partyofonepodcast.com.
0: A uh, verbal hug this week, a really quick one, is do the damn thing. Don't be scared, write down your ideas, and share them with the people that you respect and care about.
1: Yeah. And look around. Yeah. Take a moment to like really look around and just say things. Yeah. The world is a weird place sometimes. And sometimes it's worth just looking at something and going, that's weird. Yeah.
0: If you're looking for inspiration, look no further than your everyday life because there's amazing. I wrote most of fantasy is fucking based on the stuff that Jeff and I encounter in our hometown and ourselves and the cities yeah. we live in.
1: Yeah. That's like all of this. <laughs> so,
0: you know, take time, smell the roses. Really think about your relationships, the world you have, and open your eyes, man. The world is amazing. The whole fucking sea monster idea is from me seeing an octopus
1: dish at work. I love it. That's excellent. (laughs) And on that note, good Good night night.
0: and good good game. game. Hey, everybody. Jeff's gone, so I'm going to keep going. Um, Because I wrote how Nymphalikis, the jewel of the sea, received her quill, and I wanted to read it to y'all. So pardon me if this isn't like the proper uh what do you call it like audio drama like super edited with music and Aaron's trying his best I kind of just want to read it to y'all like welcome to story time kids it's called the elf and the sea when the jewel of the sea was not quite yet the jewel nymphea was a young teen elf who spent her days busking on the docks of moon crescent's port her goal was not money but to be noticed by the captain of a dock ship You see, every large seafaring vessel in fantasy has a bard on the deck, poised and ready to perform. The seas and oceans of this world are home to great and powerful sea monsters, and these monsters will attack passing ships. And that is where the bard comes in. When a sea monster shows itself, it is the bard's job to calm or charm the creature so that the ship may pass safely. Now, in Mephea's case, she and her harp sat on the docks day in and day out for months without being hired. A year passed, and the young elf told herself, a year passed, and the young elf told herself, this is the last day busking at the dock. And if nobody hires me, I'll just ask the first small fishing ship I see if I can join them for the day. Because as we talked about, that's dumb, because fishing ships don't go out that far. As expected, Nymphaea went to the docks, played her harp, and was not approached by a captain in need of a bard. The sun was setting. Nymphaea was packing up, and the crowds were dispersing. As she slung her harp over her shoulder, her eyes turned toward the cluster of small, significantly less cool, in her opinion, fishing ships. Nymphaea swallowed her pride and approached the first fishing ship she came across, and it was not glamorous. The small boat's name was Dingy Doo, and its crew were two young bratty children several years younger than Nymphaea. The two were gearing up the dinghy do for an evening of fishing the archipelago of Moon Crescent, because by the way, it's like an archipelago shape, when they were interrupted by the aspiring bard strumming her harp. She <clears throat> cleared her throat and said, In need of a bard, captains of the dinghy dew, these waters are treacherous. And of course, this scene was caused by all nearby fisherfolk, bards, captains, and crew to burst out laughing, because this is stupid. And poor little Nymphaea. You see, fisher folk never venture out further than the archipelago of Moon Crescent, so there really isn't a need for a bard, as there aren't any fucking sea monsters. Despite this, the two rowdy children captains of the Dingy Do welcomed her aboard, and as night fell, they set sail in search of sustenance. There they were two children holding flimsy fishing poles, and a young elven bard, not much older than them, red faced, not very happy. "'Strumming her harp in a small boat called the Dingy-Doo, "'about a stone's throw away from the (laughs) docks. "'A passing ship with a bard at the helm giggled at the small boat, "'and Nymphaea's eyes filled with tears as the boat faded out of view. "'What are you doing, Nymphaea?' she thought. "'This is so pathetic.' "'And as she had that thought, her strumming stopped. "'She put her hand on each of their shoulders and said, "'Captains, tonight the monsters seem calm.' You see, captains have no need for a bard tonight. She was putting on an axe, so they felt kind of more at ease and cool. The children sadly obliged—they really enjoyed her music, by the way— and turned the dinghy do back toward the dock. They pulled the anchor up, reeled in their hooks, and just when Nymphaea was about to apologize to her tongue captains, they heard it. In the center of the lagoon, the waters looked as if they were boiling. Tremendous bubbles were rising to the surface and bursting with gigantic rumbles. The crew of the dingy-doo froze. Their small boat was the only vessel in sight. There was no one to help. There was only one cause of the growing rumble— the young captains cried out in unison, "Sea monster!" As several as a several hundred foot tall creature, I think it kind of looks like a creepy seahorse, rose from the depths and let out a screech that shattered every soda bottle lying on the feet of Nymphaleacus and the dinghy doo Uh <laughs> Water rained down on the tiny ship, and it was tossed violently in the monster’s wake. The crew held on to the dingy-doo for dear life, and Nymphaea thought for sure it would break apart from the monster’s wrath. "The dingy doo will hold! Play, O oh bard, play!" the children screamed, and with no other ship in sight, Nymphea knew what she had to do. <clears throat> she cleared her throat and put on her best cool person, bard voice. "Stand behind me, brave captains, for these waters are treacherous! The beast's eyes narrowed on the dingy dew, a boat so small it could rest on the great monster's eyelash. A trembling, sopping, wet Nymphaea stood at the bow, harp in hand, and as the monster lunged toward the ship, she began to play. Nymphaea's fingers danced on the strings, wrapping the beast in a melody so beautiful that it could not move another muscle until it heard the final note of Nymphaea's song. And when the piece was done, the monster bowed its head before Nymphaea, Followed by a long silence. Now what? she thought. She had heard tales of bards calming sea monsters, but never of charming one. She gazed at the beast and felt sorry for it. She felt the rage within the monster and the sorrow, and she felt a tear roll down her cheek. Suddenly, the night became darker and darker and darker until it was pitch black. She looked up, and where there had been a bright, full moon overhead, there was nothing. No stars, no moon, no light at all. That is, until something caught her eye. Something glowing, a bright blue, floated down from overhead. The blue light cut through the darkness and gently landed on, well, what had to have been the water of the lagoon. But It was just too dark to tell anymore. She carefully climbed out of the dinghy. doo It was still very dark and stepped onto the water, I guess? She approached the small blue light and knelt down to see what it was. A bright blue feather rested in the darkness. Nothing spectacular, just a feather. Could have been from any seabird in the world, but here it was. Nivea picked up the feather, gently ran a finger over it and smiled as she placed it in her cap. SPLOOSH! The floor gave out from under her and down she fell into the dark water below. Down, she sank, desperately fighting and swimming upwards in this void. God, good job, Nymphaea. You'd really done it this... Well, she thought. Until she heard other things. She just uh, I can't move. We need to do, to do something? something. Did she just hear her captains? I shouldn't have laughed at that young bird. I, I want to be a great it. plumber like do my you brother need to Mario. I just want to tell them God, that I, I love feeling this I way. Will anyone hear. ever love me? Just then, as Nymphaea heard these voices. A voice called out to her from beyond. O Paraloon, you dream of washing pain from this harsh world. Your music, the sore that will vanquish sorrows. Your compassion, the star to lead those who are lost. Receive my relic, and let your light pierce the night sky. Nymphaea smiled and reached for the quill whoosh and in a moment she was holding tight to the great beast as it rocketed toward the water's surface as they pierced the water and amphaia settled herself atop the beast's head she looked out at the world from up high and understood she was the perilune the point closest to the moon and she was the bard that would bring peace and comfort to the entire world and that is the tale. <laughs> it's short, sweet, you know. I didn't want to give too many details, of course. <laughs> good night good game. <laughs> yeah, everybody, that's the end of the tale. Thank you.